our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Larry Norman once said, We need worship for our spirit, fellowship for our soul, and committed subservience for our body. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years. And I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different perspective has its basis in three things, godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 981st broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the Eastern and Central United States for many years. And we figured it was time to bring the good news uh, to the whole world by way of podcasting, so Here we are. We thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website messages, Facebook, and our chat board. So, Jonathan, let's get started. What's happening? What's up? And what are we talking about? Well, Rick, our question for our podcast is, what makes a church a good church? And our theme text is found in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So, it's about what makes a church a good church. And Jonathan, Christians, like most other people, are creatures of habit. Although society has engineered dramatic changes in how we handle our lives, for many Christians, the act of going to church remains a staple in their lives. We go to church to do what? Well, traditionally, we have gone to learn about God, to fellowship with those of like mind, and to get away from the rat race of our lives, and to remain, remind ourselves about how to live in a Christ-like fashion. Traditionally, we have gone to church to reaffirm our faith, to strengthen ourselves to better stand for our core beliefs. Well, as I said, times have changed. Now it seems as though many of us go to church for different reasons. In many instances, church has become a place of neighborly activity, social acceptance, goodness, activities, entertainment, and fun. Church is now a nice place to go to feel good about myself. So, are these changes unhealthy or bad? I mean, what's wrong with feeling good about myself? The question for today is, what makes a church a really good church? And Jonathan, I can tell you that there's going to be a million opinions on this particular subject. Uh, We're going to give our opinion as best as we can. It's always our objective with each subject. We choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant, practical way. We search out the original context of the scriptures that we cite. We try and find their true meaning and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you something to really think about. So again, what makes a church a good church? 
varied answers to this. We're going to go down a really specific pathway with our answers. And Rick, in our day and age, people may take that word church improperly or not have the real focus and perspective on what it really means. All right. So, so what, do you, what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, the word in the Greek, okay. uh, going to the Bible, you know, finding out the, the specific word, uh, which is ecclesias, um, it means a calling out. Concretely, a popular meeting, especially a religious congregation. So the word church in the Bible is about a calling out. That's right. Okay. It's not a building like most of us may think. Okay. And now now let's take that and let's let's build a little bit of scriptural basis for that. And then let's talk about it a little bit more to, to make sure that it ends up being really, really clear. So let's use, let's go to one of the scriptures that uses this word. And this is a scripture that is very, very well known throughout many, 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 many denominations. Matthew 16, 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All right. This is Jesus speaking. This is after the apostle Peter proclaimed Jesus as Messiah, and Jesus' response is, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church. Now, there's several things happening in this verse, okay? First of all, let's just take a side road for a moment. Jesus calls Simon Peter. Thou art Peter. And that word actually means a small stone. That's right. Okay? And then he says, and upon this rock I will build my church. The word for rock is an entirely different word than the word for small stone. Just a detail that I think is really important because it differentiates Peter from the rock of the church, which is the knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay? Right. So, just that, that's a side note. We'll, we'll leave that on the shelf. Um, but the important part for our, our conversation today is, it says, I will, upon this rock, I will build my church. So now, you can get, like you were just saying, you can get the idea that I will build my church. It means, oh, there's a solid physical rock that's for a good physical foundation. Might as well build a physical building on that rock. But that's not what Jesus is saying, is no. it? No. Rick, it's about the people. So, upon the rock of Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of God, the people who are called out to follow Jesus, that's what they're built on. And when you think about it, that makes incredibly perfect sense, that they are built upon the knowledge of who Jesus is and what he came to do and all of the things that, that surrounded him. So, upon this rock, I will build my church, my congregation, my followers. That's really what Jesus is saying. Okay, let's go to the next scripture that uses this word because we want to take a few minutes and establish this, and, and, and no pun intended, but we really need to establish a foundation, you know, to, <laughs> to get this thing understood as to where we're going with what makes a church uh, uh, to be a really good church. Galatians 1.13 is another use of that Greek word you were talking about. For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. All right, so this is the Apostle Paul talking about his pre-Apostle Paul days as Saul of Tarsus going after and hunting down the, uh, the, the followers of Christ. And it says, 
I persecuted the church. And, and Jonathan, there, it fits exactly, very clearly, how you were describing it. The people. Right. Definitely. The called out ones. I persecuted those who were called out to follow Jesus. They are called the church. So the interesting thing is, clearly the church is the people, the congregation. So knowing this changes the focus of our original question. Now, now we might want to think about asking, well, what makes a congregation of Christians a really good congregation? That's a whole different shade of meaning than what makes a church a really good church in, in many people's eyes. You're right. Absolutely. So, folks, that's the first point, and that's the first foundation, is the church is the people. And if you can understand and accept that from a scriptural perspective, and, and we would invite you to take a look at how that word church is used throughout the whole New Testament. And Jonathan, it, it defines itself as you go through it. It really does. It's really kind of exciting, actually, when you, when you do that. Um, so that is the basis from which we are going to look at this question, what makes a church a good church? Let's, go, let's take a moment. Let's go to a soundbite. This is from uh, the Spiritual Howcast. And uh, he did a, um, a little segment on how do I choose a church. And it had some pretty interesting points in it that we're going to touch on here and there throughout our podcast today. So let's listen to this first one as it sets kind of a, a tone for where we're going. Attendance at Christian churches among millennials, those born between 1980 and 2000, is going down. There are many factors that play into that downward trend. However, a common critique is that for the last 30 years, both church leaders and potential church attenders have been asking the wrong questions in their efforts both to reach out, welcome to Wrath of God Lutheran Church, and to search for some place to belong. Yes, I'm new here. Please don't be weird. Namely, the focus for both has been on matters of style. You know what we need? We need better coffee. Church should be like the Super Bowl, only with Jesus and catering to consumer sensibilities. So what does this church have for my kids? Are they gonna wear like the man dress thing, do the, the incense? What do you have for men? What do you have for singles? So, and, and you know, he's being funny as he goes through this, but he's making some really interesting points. We often look for a church that's going to suit us. It's going to suit me in whatever it is I am looking for. And he's sort of asking the question without asking it, saying, look, are we asking the wrong questions? You know, is what's wrong with your church the fact that your coffee isn't gourmet coffee? <laughs> and the answer is no. That's a nice thing. But that's not a real congregation thing. That's a people thing, but not a congregation thing. So there's a lot of people things that we mix up in our looking for a good, quote, church, unquote. So I think that's a good place for us to, to start in terms of looking at this uh, as a subject. So let's now go a little bit further and let's start to establish how we, in, in our own perspective on Scripture, look at a really good church. And, and let's start with, with, with this first statement. A really good church is God's people, as, as you had mentioned about that word. It's God's people arranged in His way and for His glory. You say, well, I like that. okay, well, what is this thing about arranging God's people? Do you mean, does that mean you have designated seating when you get into your church? <laughs> and we'll, we'll touch on that in a second. Because, you know, it's funny because a lot of people do that automatically, don't they? You're right. You're right. Like when you, you go to Bible study, do you always sit in the same place? Um, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. There you go. All right. All right. But we're going to talk about what that means in a moment. Each subgroup 
and we'll define what we mean by subgroups. But each subgroup within a congregation has responsibility, and responsibility actually is individual. And Rick, I was thinking the best way to know how a church should work is use the early church as a blueprint for your own church or Bible group. Go back to what is pure and follow the example of those that are written in God's Word. And that's exactly what we're going to do, because today with this podcast, we're not going to talk about a theologian's perspective on church or people's perspective. We're going to go entirely back to the Holy Scriptures and say, how did they define a good church, a good church environment? So let's start with Titus chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 8. And again, you know, you know the drill. I'm going to interrupt you like every other word or something, but <laughs> here we go. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Okay, so Peter, uh, uh, the, the Apostle Paul is writing to Titus, and he's saying, okay, you've got responsibilities to fulfill. You have to speak things that are sound in gospel truth. Responsibility, again, responsibility begins with those who are seasoned and therefore to be respected. So Titus is given this idea, this command, if you will, speak sound doctrine. And then the apostle tells him how each subgroup in the congregation, what role they should play. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. So he starts out with older men, and he says, here's what they should look like. Here's how they should act. Notice now he's not talking about just about those who are teaching. He's talking about those who are in attendance. And he's given us a sense of, here's the ideal that we should be rising up to. Okay, let's continue. Verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. Okay, so he started with older men to be temperate and dignified and so forth. Now older women, reverent, not malicious in gossips, not, not, not stuck in worldly things, but teaching what is good. So he's starting with the most senior members of that congregation and saying, this is how they should be acting. So I think one of the first things about a good church is me. What category of person do I fit into, and what, how should I be acting? And, and so the most seasoned individuals are the ones that you're supposed to be looking up to because of their age, out of respect. And, you know, and Jonathan, in the world today, we don't do that anymore. You're right. That's lost. Yeah, we, we laugh at those who are older instead of respecting them for the incredible wisdom they can have collected through, through a life of experience. So you start with those who are seasoned. Then responsibility from the seasoned is to be heeded by those who are mature and engaged in life. Again, back to Titus chapter 2. Let's go to verse, uh, verses 4 and 5. So that they may encourage the young women to their husbands to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So he goes from the older men to the older women and saying the older women should teach what is good so that they may encourage the younger women to be strong in the principles of womanhood. And again, that's a politically incorrect statement to make, 
but sorry, this is not about political correctness. This is about spiritual grace given to us. And this is how we're told we should act and react. Um, so really, women are supposed to have that sense of, of high honor. Now, these younger women are, are still, they're mature, but they're not yet seasoned. They should be looking up to the, upper, uh, the older generation, but they should be operating on a higher level. Let's continue with the younger men in verses 6 uh, through 8. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourselves to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. So younger men, again, the same principles are applying in terms of how do you act what do you portray? And what you portray, Jonathan, these are spiritually very high levels of, 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 uh, of behavior. And so all adults, no matter who you are, if you are attending, this is what you should be striving for. And that brings us to our first foundational church building block. What is it, Jonathan? The church is strong, healthy, and vibrant when seasoned mature. And truth-based examples are set, heated, and focused on godliness superseding individual preference. So the first point about a good church is that those who attend should be not thinking about their individual preferences, but thinking about the goodness of the whole environment and how they individually can be participating. So this really is all about each person doing their part. It is, but what about the disadvantaged? Does a real good church encourage all to claim all of their rights? What about early church slaves? If we asked Rick, Jonathan, and the CQ contribution team to answer our topical questions in five minutes or less, rather than in several chapters over 90 minutes, they'd probably get a little stressed out. Plus, they love painting that bigger picture by looking at several real-world media perspectives, historical facts, and scripture. That's why some answers may come quickly. But we love taking a look at the bigger questions that aren't so easy. And Jonathan, that question about slavery is a bigger question. So thus far we have seen this scripture in Titus show us what should be a very natural give and take between generations and genders. The scripture continues with circumstances that are not only unnatural, but downright horrible regarding slavery, telling us how to handle them with the highest godliness and Christ-likeness possible. So when you look at the early church, slavery was a common, everyday occurrence wherever they turned. How was the early church to be able to deal with that? Was everybody, like you asked the question, was everybody supposed to be standing up for their rights, their individual rights? Or is, it, is there something different than that? And, and just on the, the subject of slavery, Jonathan, we have done entire podcasts on that, um, you know, the, the biblical perspective on slavery. Just because slavery existed in the Bible doesn't mean slavery is God's favorite little pet. I just want to mention that there are several other Christian Questions uh, podcasts that you can go to, to to get more information on that. But um, Jonathan, let's talk about what the early church viewpoint was on those who were slaves and Christians, okay? A really good church is God's people. Again, we're going to, every time we get to a new point, that's the phrase. It's God's people standing up together for Christ under the most difficult and limiting circumstances. What do we mean by that? 
We're talking about slavery now. Let's go back to Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, is specifically focusing on those who are slaves and Christians. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Now, for some people, this may come as a shock, like, wait a minute, Christianity is all about liberty. You're supposed to be able to be free in Christ, and yet the apostle is telling slaves to behave themselves as slaves. He's saying, be subject to your master. Don't be argumentative. Show good faith in your master, your earthly master you're a slave to. Why? What's the reason? So that you can, will adorn the doctrine of God in every respect. And bringing it to our present day and age, we work for employers. We are enslaved to serve them well. Yes. So be a, be a witness, let your light shine, be honest, have integrity, do your best job ever, and they will see that and appreciate it and, and see there's something different about you. Right, right. Now, we, we do work for, at a job, but you know we do have the right to quit. Yes, we do. Slaves did not. Bond slaves were that way until their contractual obligation was up, or in some cases it was that way for life. Mm -hmm. So the Christian take on slavery at that time was rather than fight for your human rights, we're here told to fight for the privilege of representing Jesus in whatever disadvantaged circumstance our life brings us. So it's not about your human rights. It's about the right to honor and praise God in the disadvantage of your life. Huge difference. That's what makes a good congregation. That's what makes a good church. Having that attitude and talking to and about someone who is a bond slave is a perfect example of rising to a really high level, which is very difficult. So the conclusion for all of us is we, we pick it up in Titus chapter 2 now. We're going we're gonna to still go to chapter 2 verses. Now let's go to 11 through 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our God, great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. And that's the only line, Rick, I had on my outline. Oh, okay. Um, for... It looks like there's it skipped three Oh, okay. Spaces. Yeah, okay. So, so uh, actually, Titus 2... 11 to 13 reads, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Now, that line, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our God, great God and Savior, um, Christ Jesus. So, what it's saying is, the conclusion is, God's grace has brought salvation through Jesus. We have to deny ungodliness. We must deny worldly desires even if our rights are being infringed. Christianity is not about human rights. And and that's a hard thing for a lot of Christians to understand. But the scriptures are saying you need to rise above your human rights. And, And you say, well, how can you be sure Christianity is not about human rights? What did Jesus do? Jesus forewent his human rights for a proper trial, and he allowed himself to go and be crucified. Why did he do that? 
for the sake of the, the goodness of all mankind, to provide that ransom price. That's the example. Be willing to put things that might rightfully belong to you aside for the sake of following in Jesus' footsteps. That's hard to, to grasp, Jonathan, because a lot of us, when we go to church, it's about me. It really is. The concept about sacrifice is hard to comprehend, but if Jesus did it, if the apostles and the disciples that we read about did it, that's the pattern. And, and we will see that unfold as we continue. So the next foundational church building block is what? The church is strong, healthy, and vibrant when its members use any advantage or disadvantage they may possess or inherit to witness to the glory of God through a Christ-like attitude of acceptance. That's a building block for a great congregation. Each member showing up with that kind of attitude or at least striving toward that kind of an attitude. Rick, we're going to go through a lot of scriptures coming up, and that's why everyone should sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition at ChristianQuestions.com so that they can really get all of these points step by step as we go through Ephesians here. Okay, so yeah, you're right. There's a lot coming up and a lot of building blocks and a lot of pieces that are going to be scattered about. Seek Your Rewind, the full edition, puts it all in order for you. It's a free service available at ChristianQuestions.com or through the Christian Questions app. Try it. If you don't like it, you can unsubscribe with the click of a button, but you really owe it to yourself to try it because it's a great tool for putting this all together. So, Jonathan, let's take a, a little side trip for a moment. You know, we've been talking a little bit about the church is not a building, but it's the people. So, each segment, we want to just focus on at least one scripture that focuses, tells us where the early church actually had their meetings way back in biblical times. So the first scripture we're going to look at is Romans 16, 3 to 5. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles, also greet the church that is in their house. So greet the church, greet the congregation, greet the people, and where are they? They're in their house. So meeting at the house of Priscilla and Aquila was a commonly well-known circumstance in the that's early right. church there for, for, the Roman, for the Roman church. So that's an interesting thing to think about. They met at their home. They had everybody over and entertained them in terms of, now, and when I say entertain them, I'm not saying the song and dance entertaining. I'm saying open their doors in hospitality for the sake of Christian growth. That's what we're calling entertaining them. Um, let, let's go back to um, how do I choose a church, the spiritual howcast, because he asks three questions about, okay, choosing a church you know, what are some of the qualifications you might want to look for? And he's got some, some pretty interesting points here. Let's listen to what his first question is suggested to be. And after decades of making style and consumer questions the most important thing in church, people are finding themselves dissatisfied with it. Here are three better questions to ask when looking for a church. Number one, is it local? Is it close enough for me to be involved beyond Sunday? Might the people you meet in the pews or chairs actually be your neighbor? According to recent research, the primary reason for seeking a church and a primary factor in millennial retention at a church is relationships. When people make friends on Sunday, then share life together outside of Sunday, they stay at that church. 
So there's something to be said for meeting with those who are somewhat close by for the purpose of having more than just a, oh, hi, I see you on Sunday. I think I remember your name. But now having someone to walk alongside of through life. Uh, so I, that's a good question. You know, do you, can you find a, a, a place to go that's close enough where you can really be a part of other people's lives? And when we say other people, we mean other Christians. That's other, right. Other Christians dedicated to sacrifice uh, to Jesus. So, and, and Rex, it's so important because fellowship, getting together on an informal basis and talking the scriptures or encouraging if someone's going through a trial, that is so valuable. In building that bond of Christ together. And those things are going to come spilling out of this podcast according to Scripture because you're right. They are so important. The Scriptures tell us the value of those things. And what makes a really good church is what the Scriptures tell us make a really good church. Not what I think, not what I'd like, not what my preference is, not what I saw at the other church down the road that I don't like the guys so I don't go, but what do the Scriptures say? A really good church, again, is God's people this time providing shelter from the cold and dark. Not as a building, though. Shelter from the cold and dark of the sinful world. Let's go to Ephesians 11, verses 6 to 21, and we're going to break this up into pieces. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. All right, so to be a really good church, what this scripture has told us up to this point is we must encourage all away from sin by being willing to call out what sin is and what it looks like. And again, Jonathan, in a lot of congregations, because we want to be accepting We are not necessarily willing to do that. And that is unfortunate if you're looking at a place to worship God and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. So not only do we call out the darkness, but we rise above it and choose what will influence our lives. Let's continue with that scripture, Ephesians 11, now verses 15 through 21. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, so be careful how you walk. This is talking to the average person going to, quote, church. It's the average called out follower of Jesus. Be careful how you you walk. Make the most of your time. It's saying that to make a church a good church, you have to be a good example. You're not just going there to hear about it and to be inspired by it. You should be going there to bring that example as well. Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So again, make sure the things that you allow into your life to influence you are spiritually based, not human-based, not desire-based. And verses 19 to 21. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the Lord, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, 
and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Okay, so now it's saying, now it's, it's raising the level. Okay, be good, be strong, be clear, but also have praise, have joy, have, have enthusiasm, have, have some emotion involved in this thing. Uh, Jonathan, we have a comment that we want to take uh, from Trish here, our, our screener. So Trish, what have you got? All right, this is actually a question. Go ahead. Okay, are we supposed to go to church? Or are we supposed to be the church? Yes. And what's the difference? <laughs> what's the difference between that? Okay. And, and that is a really good question. And, and Jonathan, let's just take that question now before we go to a, a soundbite here. Going to church is actually a little bit of a misrepresentation. Going to participate in church is a better way to put it. Because I'm going to participate in the congregation. Going to church, we say that and we mean I'm going to a location. Eh, really not so much. What we're going to do is be a part of a fellowship. So there's a huge difference between the two. And yes, do we go to church on Sunday? I'm sure that we all, you know, we say that to people. Yeah, yeah I go to church every Sunday. It would be great if we could really explain what that means <laughs> because otherwise we're missing the point. And Hebrews 10.25 says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Uh, like is the custom of some, especially as you see the days drawing close. Right. So now in this day and age, more than ever, we need to assemble with those of like precious faith to encourage and build up and, and develop our Christ-likeness. Go to be a part of church. Jonathan, let's go to a little bit of praise here for a moment. So something a little emotional, a little bit musical to just lift your spirits. Well, Rick, a personal um, side, growing up in a mainstream church, my father was a choir director and I was the choir boy. And music can be an allurement to a church. I'm, it makes you feel good. You can participate and you feel like you can contribute. But the question I have is how does it develop Christ likeness in you? We need to be careful of, of emotion uh, and, be and, and not be swept up in it. And so are you saying that, are, are you down on music in church? Because that doesn't sound like you, brother. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is it should be a supplement, not the primary okay. focus okay. of the church. It's right. good to touch your heart uh, for, for bringing praise and honor to God, but don't go to church because you like the band and the choir. That, that's not a reason to go to a church. Okay, that can be a supplemental reason, I think is what you're saying. You can say, yes, and they have wonderful music and it's very inspiring. But if that's the reason you go, then you're not going for the right reason. I think that's exactly, where, where that's your exactly point is. what I'm saying. And a hymn is a prayer. Okay. All right, a hymn is a prayer, and we'll need to get into that a little bit further, uh, but we are a little bit uh, running a little bit behind on time for this, this segment here. So, Jonathan, quickly, we'll come back to this in the next segment. Foundational church building block for this area that we've just talked about is what? The church is strong, healthy, and vibrant. When its members stand together in God's spirit and truth, call out of darkness 
inspiring one another and living thankfully. So there's a lot of pieces to this particular building block, being willing to call out darkness, to stand together in spirit, you know, and, and, and you know, having your emotions focused on it, but in truth, in the doctrine, in the teaching of Jesus, that is the most, most, most important thing. So here it is. Be humble. Stand for something, something big, and inspire one another. That all sounds ideal, but how does a really good church handle those issues where we might be having a hard time with each other? If you disagree with some of Rick and Jonathan's viewpoints, no matter your beliefs, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com or through our app by searching for Christian Questions in your app store. Our producers are feeding us your awesome comments and questions every week, so keep them coming. In this next CQ chapter, we're going 3D. Three viewpoints. Christian, secular, and neutral. So, Jonathan, dealing with external issues of our stations in life and fighting off and calling out of sin are one area of good church, good congregation action. Handling issues from within, though, not getting along as well as we ought to or saying or doing things that might be hurtful to our brothers, that is where a good church, a good congregation, must really rise up to what it should be. And that is a spiritual environment that is clear, that is clean, that is Christ-focused in all ways, under all circumstances. So, And that, Jonathan, is hard to do. It and, is hard. And most people, when they look at the idea of finding a good church to go to, quote-unquote, aren't thinking about that. What they're thinking about is, am I going to like the people? Am I going to like the message? Am I going to like the music? Are the seats comfortable? Are the services too long? You know, those are the kinds of things that we think about. And, and folks, that's not what true Christianity is asking us to look at. It's something different. Let's go back to the spiritual howcast for the next question. Remember he said the first question, okay, is it local enough that the, the church you're, you're looking to be a part of uh, where you can actually get to know the people? And that, like you said, fellowship is such an important part of this thing. Here's the next question, and again, this has some interesting uh, thoughts that we can discuss. Number two, is it invitational? Does the church have a posture of openness and warmth to those who are outside her walls? Do they hold events in the community that make people smile? Do they greet you when you walk in the door and make you feel at home? Do they attempt to make the service, regardless of style, understandable to the outsider? Or is it simply a foreign subculture, narthex, offertory, hedge of protection, fellowship hall, that you're left to learn on your own? So, is it invitational? Now, you know, we can, we can look at that in a lot of different ways. Uh, I don't know that a, a church's primary responsibility is to have uh, events out in the community on a regular basis. I, periodically, I can, I can understand that. But again, the, the idea of church, quote-unquote, is the congregation getting together to become more Christ-like. That's the point. And it's not to make people feel good, even though feeling good is an outgrowth of becoming Christ-like. It's to make people understand spiritual things. And there's a big difference between those things. So a really good church is God's people supplying joy for your journey and uplift for your heart, even when things are not as smooth between us as we would want them to be. Because, Jonathan, let's face it, you and I both know that everybody doesn't get along with everybody all the time. 
You're right. We all have different personality traits. We all have different backgrounds. And it's not easy sometimes to communicate with everyone. No, and it takes work and it takes effort and it takes humility. And and especially when the other person's always wrong and you're always right, you know? Well, that's not my case, but it could be in yours. Is that that what you're saying? No, that's I'm being sarcastic. (laughs) Let me put it out there. I am being sarcastic. Okay. So joy in our journey begins with putting on the right gear. If you're going to take this journey and do it joyfully, the scriptures tell us, here's how to do it. Here's what you should wear. And this is kind of cool. Colossians chapter 3, 12 to 16. Let's do 12 to 14 to start with. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on our heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. It's really interesting in this Colossian scripture, how it's talking about kind of like getting dressed. And the first thing it tells us to do is put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The implication is is that all of those things are not natural. And you have to put that heart on. You've got to wear that heart because it doesn't come from the inside out yet. It has to come from the outside in first. And then it goes on in verse 14, beyond all these things, put on love. So Jonathan, the idea of what makes a good church is are those members of the church, are the church themselves, the the individuals, wearing the right Christian uniform. You know, in this case, it's a Christian uniform of putting on a heart of compassion and putting on love. In another picture, you know, it's the armor of God and and all of that, but we're not talking about that particular picture. So once we're properly clothed, we can more easily let spirituality work within us to initiate true joy. And before you, you continue reading, Jonathan, I think it's really important to state that one of the end results, one of the outgrowths of being part of the church is joy, is a joyful experience, not only there when you're with others, but to be able to live in joy. That comes from true spiritual growth and development and spiritual contentment and all of those things. We can feel joyful on Sunday and go home and get miserable really fast. But if we put on these things, we can actually change and become joyful in our entire lives. Verses 15 and 16 of Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful, for the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching. Okay, so you had to put on the heart of compassion, you had to put on love, and then once you've done that, it says, now let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Then it says, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. And I guess the implication is, unless you have that heart of compassion and you put on love, you're not going to be able to let those other things in. So you gotta, we got to do this in the right order. And let's finish verse 16. And admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So again, Jonathan, the musical part of this thing comes rising up to the top. But, you know, here's the thing. You know, you were saying that music can easily be, a, be um, uh, misrepresented within the church. Yes. yes, it can. Here, it's telling us how music should be presented. It says, and admonishing one another. 
with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's not just for the emotion. It's for the growth. And man, if we could just understand that and look at the, the, the use of hymns, like you said, hymns are prayers set to music. And, and if we could look at that and say, wow, this is uplifting rather than just it feels nice. And, you know, it's really nice to sing along and, and you know, it makes you feel good. And that's okay. But that's not what it's there for. That's, that's a small part. But there's so much more than that. Letting Christ's peace rule is a key to joy flowing in us and through us to others. Letting Jesus' words rule is the filter through which all of that joy can flow. You got to let these things happen. And Rick, the question is, do these songs and hymns bring praise, honor, and glory to God? Uh, we were we were yeah. joking a little bit before we got on. And <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> Okay. Well, you know, I think about it because you know there are there are there are churches where you know you have heavy metal rock music, you know, and, and you think about that. Okay, praise, honor, and glory to God. I mean, is is is, is it say, oh, love you, God, love you, God? That's not you know, that's not praise, honor, and glory. That's noise. Exactly. Seriously, <laughs> let's put it in perspective. There is a sacredness to our gathering. And we need to rise up to the level of the sacredness, not bring the sacredness down to what we might physically, personally like. That's the job of a true Christian congregation, of the true church. So you're right. I'm glad, glad you brought that, that, that up. <laughs> and let's go back to the, the chorus of that, uh, The Joy of the Lord. This is by Twyla Paris. We're just dropping in on just a little bit of that. Because, again, there should be joy. There should be that sense, that feeling of, yes, this is what my life is about. You know, and one of the reasons I really love that hymn is it really does focus you on exactly the right thing. Because if you walk around singing that hymn to yourself, the music brings you there, but the words keep you there. Because the music is like, okay, I can, I can get the, 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 the feeling of the song. But what are the words saying? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, if you look at Nehemiah and you see the context of that verse— that is utter spiritual inspiration. The joy of the Lord should be our strength. And if music can help to bring you there, so be it. But make sure the music is just a way to get you to something higher, something stronger, something more, more clear and more spiritual. So what is the foundation building block from this section of the uh, really good churches, God's people supplying joy for the journey? Well, Rick, the church is strong, healthy, and vibrant when its members put on a Christ-like heart and let him rule over all their thoughts, feelings, and mutual interactions. So even when we may have a hard time getting along with one another, putting on a heart of compassion, putting on love, letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, letting the words of Christ richly dwell in us, those are the building blocks for being able to overcome those difficulties that we have one with another. It's, it's really very, very incredibly powerful. So... 
sidetrack for a moment, another early Christian church meeting in biblical, um, from biblical times, again, going back to Romans 16, 23. Gaius, host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you. Okay, so again, host to me, and he's the host. When you host something, you're having people come to you and you're, 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 you're setting it up for their comfort. So there's a wonderful principle of members of the congregation putting themselves out for the comfort of other members so they can come and worship together and study together and pray together in an atmosphere that, that enhances spirituality. It's not where, oh, we're going to go to Jonathan's house because he has a pool table in the basement. Now, I know you don't have a pool table in the basement. No, I but, don't. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> is it in the garage? No. <laughs> the, <Don't have> one. <laughs> the point here is that it's about spirituality. It's not about just, you know, it's not about entertainment in any way, shape, or form. So a really good church now, next point, is God's people. Now organized in a way that is spiritually strong and acceptable before God. It's organized in a very specific way. Choosing leadership begins with spiritual and personal integrity and character. And yes, the scriptures talk to us about choosing leadership. 1 Timothy 3, 1-10. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, apt to teach, not addicted to wine or punctious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own house well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. So, you know, when it's talking about being an overseer, being one who is in a position of teaching and responsibility within the church these are very high-level uh, qualifications and saying this is what you look for in someone who is going to be in that position. It continues now with experience and consistent reputation, verses 6 and 7. And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he would not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So again... It's saying you don't want someone who is relatively new to Christianity to be in this position because it's too much for them. It's too high a level of responsibility. They have to have a good reputation on the outside as well as on the inside. You can't be a Sunday go to meet in Christian and be in that position. You have to live with integrity throughout, from, from beginning to end of all parts of your life. And then it talks about deacons, those who are not necessarily in a position of teaching, but of helping and of doing a lot of the organizational things to keep things running smoothly. What, what kind of qualifications are there? Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the ministry of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also be first tested and then let them serve as deacons, if they are beyond re reproach. So you have a sense that this is serious, serious business here, this choosing thing. 
And Rick, I was uh, reading in Acts 14, verse 23, it talks about ordaining uh, in the King James Version or appointing in the modern versions. That Greek word literally means to stretch, to be a hand raiser or a voter. And Rick, every year our church has elections from the whole congregation to vote for who they believe meets these qualifications we just read in 1 Timothy. Uh, only the individuals within the congregation would know each other's character traits or their knowledge of the word. And I was thinking it would feel very uh, uncomfortable for a committee to send a stranger to our congregation um, when you don't know who they are and, and, and how serious and dedicated they are. And, and, you know, that, that's an interesting point. And that's a really good point because, again, depending on someone's perspective, what their experience is with church, quote unquote, for some, that's the natural way. You know, somebody comes in from the outside to teach because it's sent by, by, by a central organization. But in the scriptures, we really don't have that idea. What you have is each of these groups is responsible to develop amongst them because they're all supposed to have some level of spiritual maturity to develop from amongst themselves spiritual leadership and to be really careful about who and what. So again, what makes a really good church? The responsibility of everybody to be a part of that process, which again, for most people is very unusual, but look, it's also very scriptural. So do we want to follow that which is scriptural, even if it's unusual? And I think the answer ought to be absolutely, yes. What's the foundation church, foundational church building block here? The church is strong, healthy, and vibrant when its members choose those who would lead them based upon truth, clear spiritual and character qualifications, and not based on their emotions and personal biases. And we have to be so careful to keep our emotions and all of those things out of the way. The church, the congregation is about something much higher than how I think or what my opinion is or what my mood is. It's much higher, much bigger. Uh, so Jonathan, r right here, there is an absolute recurring theme of everyone contributing. Rick, that's a good theme. But what about times when brothers or sisters are going through trauma? How does a good church or congregation react? Sometimes our questions and commentary can get complicated. That's part of having a thorough discussion. We'd love to hear your opinion. Contact us now at ChristianQuestions.com. Comment through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or our app. Just when you thought we may be figuring this out, let's get more complicated. Well, you're right, Jonathan. Life is full of trauma and hard experiences. A good church, a good congregation by rights, should have an environment where those who are going through such things can find support and true encouragement. Coming to such a place, to such an environment, can be difficult as our emotions tend to react before our spiritual sense does. Sometimes we're just not ready to take and be the kind of help that we should be. And, you know, we've just got to strive to be higher. Sometimes if we're the one going through the trauma, we're not ready to share that, to be vulnerable on that. And that's understandable. But of all places to go, being amongst the fellow called out ones following after Jesus in his footsteps should really be the very best, strongest, clearest, most comfortable, most confident build, confidence building place we could ever go to. Uh, so 
you know, that really is such an important part of this thing here. Amen. Uh, let, let's go back to uh, the spiritual howcast. And he's talking about how do I choose a church? And he's going to ask his third question. And he brings up an interesting word here. Uh, and the que- I want to say it now just because he's going to be talking about it. But is it Christological? And you say, what? Uh, so let's, uh, let's listen. Number three, is it Christological? Christological means focused on the person and work of Jesus Christ as the answer to everything. When a church is being faithful to historic Christianity, the goal is for that community to know and love Jesus, who he is, and what he's done more and more. That's really it. It's a relatively new idea to see Jesus as someone who came to earth just to help us become the best versions of ourselves. And millennials who have access to more information than any other generation realize there are a thousand ways to live your best life without waking up at 9 a.m. on a Sunday. You could join a gym, go to a Tony Robbins seminar, watch Dr. Phil, drink more water, eat more kale, train for a marathon. Just don't be the kind of person that ends up telling everybody about it. A recent survey by the Barner Group found that those who stay in local churches cite intimacy with God as a primary factor. They want to hear that and understand how the truths of Jesus transform relationships and vocation and how he equips them for cultural discernment. So he brings up some very interesting and important points. He's saying that if your church is all about being the best you, you're missing the point. And he's saying, go to a Tony Robbins seminar or train for a marathon or eat kale. I don't know about eating kale. I'd rather train for a marathon than eat kale. Okay, I'm just saying. I'd rather go for chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) But that wasn't on his list, Jonathan. I know. It should have been. It should have been. (laughs) Anyway, the the point here is that... It needs to be focused on that which is higher, not that which is common, not that which is emotional, but that which is higher. That's why we come together. That's why we are called the church. So a really good church is God's people, now in this example, supporting one another through self-control, through endurance, through integrity, through mutual support and praise and as you touched on so many times before, meaningful fellowship. So self-control and endurance, let's start with that. Standing against our own emotions to better walk with our brethren. And and I want to say that again before you read the scripture. Standing against our own emotions to better walk with our brethren. That's what it says in James 5, 9 through 16. We'll do 9 through 11 to start. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So there's two main, main, main points here, self-control and endurance. First, and endurance. First of all, he says, don't complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. He's saying, when you start complaining against one another, you're missing the point of coming together. You're, you're, you're being earthly, you're being physical, and that is not what you come together to be. If you are the church, you stand for something much, much higher than that. You, so you, you don't complain against one another. And then he says, we count those blessed who endured. And the point is, you can endure the difficulty quietly. You don't have to be complaining out loud about that brother or that sister did this or that to you. you know, work it out someplace else. Work it out privately like you should. And again, the scriptures tell us how to do that. In Matthew 18. Yes, that's they right. do. Okay. So make sure you stand 
against your own emotions in self-control and and be willing to stand with endurance. Integrity is next in the scripture in James 5. Um, Letting our spiritual maturity and Christ-like character override our emotional propensity to create drama in our experiences. And Jonathan, it's really easy to create drama in our experiences. Because you know what we do? We get our experiences, we have them, and then we play them again and again in our head. And each time you replay them, it gets louder and more verbose, and it gets bigger and more dramatic. And then you start to get more excited, and then maybe a little bit more upset, and then maybe a little bit angry. And you just work yourself up for no good reason. If we are the church, we should be about things higher than that. Uh, And again, uh, James 5, verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, neither by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. See, Jonathan, that's such a simple verse with such a powerful message. Really what that verse is telling us is, look, you don't have to get all dramatic. I'm not, don't, don't go, I'm going to swear upon heaven or swear upon earth about this. Your word should be enough. Simply, clearly, humbly stated. Next in the verses in James 5 is mutual support and praise. Being close enough and willing enough to help our brother help themselves even when they may feel awkward. And again, this has to do with those dealing with trauma, with real great uh, harsh difficulties in their life. James 5 now deals with that next, verses 13 through 15. Is any among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is any among you sick? Then he must call the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. So now it gets into, first of all, it was, look, don't complain against one another. Have endurance. Have your word be enough without getting all dramatic. And now it's saying, look, there are those of you who are suffering. And if, if someone is suffering, they should be praying. Is anyone cheerful? Sing praises. It's good. And again, music is good as a part of, but not as the main reason for, our gathering together. Is anyone among you sick? And we don't have time to get into the lengthy def- discussion on this, Jonathan, but this is talking about spiritual sickness. Yes. Okay. Lengthy discussion on that for another day. Have the elders, those who have been voted in to be uh, those responsible, come together with that person, with the, with, the, with the power of God's Spirit to help to build them up. That's what the church, that's what the congregation is. It's this unit that helps, that helps itself by working together to help those up who need help, who can't hold themselves up. The next point here is meaningful fellowship in the James 5 scripture. Being vulnerable enough to speak and listen about the hard things in life. And this, again, this is verse 16 of James 5, a very powerful, simple verse. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. This, go ahead, I'm sorry. Now, Rick, in our in our Bible study, we have uh, testimony meetings mm-hmm. where it gives opportunity for the congregation to share 
things that are on their hearts, things that they have need of prayer and, and support in. And it's a way that you can enter into their experience and be there as that support. And that's one of the things I love uh, about our congregation. Confess your sins to one another. And there is such vulnerability in that. There is. And, and, and so the idea of the church, the congregation, the people should be focused on a high enough spiritual plane that we can accept that vulnerability with grace and love and compassion it reminds me of the last segment where it says put on a heart of compassion and put on love you got to have those things to be able to help others through trauma you just do because sometimes people make mistakes in life and you say what were you thinking that's not the time they need to be put back together they need to be encouraged spiritually that's what the church the congregation the people that's what we are supposed to do so what's the foundational church uh, building block here. Well, Rick, the church is strong, healthy, and vibrant when its members take on deep and heartfelt care for one another as their personal responsibility. All right. It is the personal responsibility of each and every member of that congregation to build up, to help, to contribute to the well-being of others. Jonathan, we have another comment from Trish. Yes, you or, do. Or a question. Well, it's that's a comment, I suppose. Go ahead. Um, just when I went to church, as, uh, when I went to church as an adult, um, I went there because I wanted to find God and understand the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. Because to um, love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, how do you do that if you don't know where He is? So that's where I, why I went to church, was mm -hmm. to figure out who God was and what he was doing. Um, our purpose to, is to honor him, to serve him, and we get together it, to do that together. And that should be our main focus, is to help each other really find God, to find Christ, and to walk together with him. Okay, so really what you're saying is to not just initially find, but continue to uncover the depth of his character and of his love and of his plan and what it means to follow in Jesus' footsteps. I think that, that's what you're saying. Right, and there's tremendous joy to be with others who want to do the same. Right, and so the, the joy part is, is really good. Thank you. Thank you for that. See, because, Jonathan, it is, there is a finding and once you find, here's the beauty of this. Once you find God and his plan, you can hold on to those things and you don't have to give them up. But there's always more finding to do. There's always more to uncover. And it's an incredible journey. It's an incredible experience. I mean, when you think about it, you and I working together with this podcast, God has blessed us to do this for 19 years. And we're continually finding more gems of scripture. We s certainly are, Rick. <laughs> it's just, it's like this never ending thing. And it's, there's nothing more exciting than finding the personal application of godliness to your own life. So, Trish, thanks for that, uh, that comment. Uh, let's do a little, not, little bit more in terms of that, uh, that, that praise uh, situation here. This is a song from Keith and Kristen Getty, Oh, How Good It Is. And it's, about, it's from the scripture, Oh, How Good It Is for Brethren to uh, Dwell Together in Unity. So, it, it's again, it's quoting scripture in terms of praise. It's a prayer. 
It's a praise to God. So listen with that in mind. When we offer the blessing of belonging, and Jonathan, it's not just a blessing, it's an obligation. You are part of the church. We are supposed to belong to each other because we all belong to Christ. Go ahead. Well, Rick, there's so many building blocks uh, in this study, and because I can't remember them all, (laughs) it's a great way to go to christianquestions.com Sign up for CQ Rewind. Uh, it's full of graphics and illustrations, and it lays out each building block so you can really know what it looks like um, to find a good congregation. Right, and again, finding a good congregation is finding a good group of God-fearing, Christ-following individuals who want to be more like Jesus and are willing to learn not only the character but the doctrine of what Jesus is about. Jonathan, let's take that side road again. Early church meetings. Um, This is interesting because let's go to the very beginning of the early Christian church right after Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together um, with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So you have two things. You have them getting together in the temple where it was uh, allowed for them to do and talking about following Jesus and meeting together, but also breaking bread from house to house. There was this fellowship. There was this connection. There was this magnetism between the followers of Jesus to stay together and to wherever they could, to have meals together and to fellowship together so that they could grow together in Jesus. It's a beautiful example of the practicality of not needing some great big fancy building but needing each other more than anything. One more example of mutual support, uh, and that is Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Okay, help one another. If you're spiritually minded, you have the ability and the responsibility and the privilege of reaching out. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So not only is it something that we might want to think about doing, it's fulfilling the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. So we have the responsibility of carrying that which belongs to us, but helping others with the weight of their experiences and the weight of their circumstances. And that sometimes is one of the greatest blessings that we can afford one to another, is when you help someone else carry the weight of their burden. You don't take their burden from them, but you can help them carry the weight of it. So, Jonathan, all of this shows that a really good church is not a place to go 
Rather, it is an environment that needs feeding by all who are present. The bottom line here is I personally am responsible. That's the bottom line. You want to go to a good church? Make the congregation better by your presence and your contributions. So being involved in a good church begins with me. And it begins with me as well. But what about diversity? Is there room for real human diversity in a real good church? As we try to stay on track with research, sometimes you go down unexpected roads. That's part of education, debates, and differing opinions. You just can't take everyone at their word, and oftentimes you have to consider the other side of the story. That's why we're always asking our listeners to give their opinions on the questions we're answering. Message us at ChristianQuestions.com or through the Christian Questions app. Speaking of the other side, time to go in reverse with a CQ contradiction. So diversity, Jonathan, and that can be a CQ contradiction because diversity is a really tricky thing. The world's definition of diversity tends towards an anything-goes approach, while the biblical definition of diversity is clearly in line with focused principles. It is this latter kind of diversity that is sought after in the context of spiritual growth within within any, quote, good church, unquote. So is there room for diversity? Absolutely, yes. What kind of diversity? That's the question. That, and that's a hard <laughs> and important question. And I think, Jonathan, actually, at some point, we're going to need to do an entire podcast on that because the world has taken diversity and really made it into something that's very, very, very different from what we see scriptural principles teaching us. And I think it would be a worthwhile conversation to have at some point down the road there. So what kind of diversity? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. Let's drop in one more time. Well, we got actually two more if we have time. One more time, early church meetings. Now, this is interesting, Jonathan, because we have two scriptures here. This is before Saul of Tar- when Saul of Tarsus was terrorizing the church, and then after Saul becomes Paul. Acts 8.3 is the first one. Go ahead. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Okay, so the interesting thing is Saul of Tarsus knew where they would be. He knew they would be meeting in houses. So he went there to find them and to gather them and to pull them out and to torment them. That's what he went to do. I mean, that's, that's, that's what, that was the business that he was about. He gets, he's converted. He now is a proponent of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is now a follower of Jesus Christ with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And how does he provoke church going, if you will, quote unquote? Uh, Colossians 4.15. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. So he is clear and free to acknowledge that even after he came in, did he see a need to change the setup? No. No. Why? Because it was humble, it was clear, it was as safe as they could be. The, The brothers and sisters were together in fellowship and in study, and he saw that as a beautiful thing. So he didn't, so the Apostle Paul didn't say, well, you know, I know, you know, some of the pitfalls of that, let's change it. He said, no, no, this is a great, humble way for us to continue to meet. I think there's a a powerful lesson in that. There is, and he didn't say, let's all go to the temple and meet, or let's let's build a building uh, with a 
you know, large uh, artwork and, and, and meet there so that we can get inspiration. No, the simpleness was the beauty of it. Well, and, and, you know, he did oftentimes go to the temple to witness to the gospel, though. Oh, yes. You know, so he used the tools that were available in, in all circumstances. Let's go back to uh, just the chorus on that, that hymn from Keith and Kristen Getty, Oh, How Good It Is, because, again, it's, it's, it's uplifting and it's scripturally based. And it's how music should be in terms of our Christian lives. Don't we want that to be uh, the, the, the essence of our fellowship together? Jonathan, before we go to our next really good church uh, point, uh, we've got a chat comment that Trish is going to bring us. It says, I love John 15, 12, and 13. This is my commandment that, I, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And this is the comment about that. It says, I find it inspiring to think that we are the hands and feet of Jesus for one another. That he can work through us to communicate his love and his encouragement. That's a great comment. Thanks, Trish, for that and for the commenter on the chat board. Uh, because it, it, that's exactly where we're going with the next set of scriptures. It helps us to understand that we should be the personification of, of Jesus in our lives as best as we're capable of being. And if we give that to one another, there's no greater gift that we can give to our brother or sister than that. So thank you for that. So next point, Jonathan, is really simple. A really good church, again, is God's people. Hopefully we've made that point by now. Okay, Encouraging its members with vastly different abilities to come together and work as small parts of a well-oiled machine for the sake of the gospel. We're teeny tiny little parts in this thing, but every little part plays a role. You know, Jonathan, it's easy to compete and to compare and then to make judgments. That's a problem. It, it is easy. And, and, it's, and it's natural, okay? Yes. There is no place for that in the body of Christ. And therefore, there is no place for that in your church, in your congregation, in your group of those you fellowship with. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let's start with verses 14 to 17. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were the hearing, where would the sense of smell be? So it's it's giving us a really simple, easy to identify with picture of a human body saying, look, different parts, different roles, very different. Some have more, more outward uh, value apparently than others. 
but they're all part of the same body. And he's saying, look, if the whole body were an eye, because you know, the eye is like, wow, the eye is, is like the window to the world and then the window into your mind. And like, oh, you got it. That's the best thing. But he says, if the whole body were an, were an eye, you wouldn't hear and you'd be missing something. You would be handicapped. The body of Christ should never be handicapped. It should be complete in its function, and it can only be complete if we all play our small part. So the call of the church is for the very purpose of diversity and purposeful inclusion. That's God's plan. But again, Jonathan, before we go back to the scripture, the diversity is according to biblical principle. What does that mean? That means it, 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 it means that just because I think something is right or I want something to be true doesn't mean I, it's okay. It doesn't mean it's, it's correct. Biblical principle guides our diversity. And within biblical principle, there is a boatload of diversity that we have to work with here. So it's God's plan in terms of having this purposeful inclusion, this purposeful diversity within the body of Christ. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, now verses 18 to 21. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the feet, head to the feet, I have no need of you. So the interesting part about this verse, Jonathan, is where you started. It said, God has placed the members, each of them, in the body just as he desired. So, and we may have used this example other times. So if you're a little toe, you can do one of two things, saying, sheesh, you know, why couldn't I be an eye or an ear or even a pinky finger for goodness sakes? And here I am dragging around the ground in the dust all the time. You know, <laughs> I'm the toe that nobody cares about. You know, I'm this little thing. You know, we can look at it that way or we can say, God has granted me the great privilege of providing the little edge of balance that nobody else can provide because I'm the little toe on the left foot and that <laughs> toe plays a role. You know, the whole idea is to find that God put us there to supplement everything else. And if all of those dif differentiating parts weren't there, it could not work. This is a, such a beautiful picture of what makes a good church, what makes a good congregation, the willingness to play a small part. Hey, Rick, a small toe is valuable. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it is. And, you know, we can't forget that. We can't forget that. And, and, you know, and the scripture goes further because the apostle, I think, recognizes the propensity of those who may have less in, in terms of talent or natural ability to always feel like they're less than those who have more talent or might be more outspoken or have more ability or have more opportunities. So the scripture goes further and it says, now further, God has designed this body with humility and mutual respect as primary prerequisites. So the diversity is put in place, and it's put in place in such a way to say that everyone must respect everyone else in this body, no matter who. Now listen to this next section of Scripture, and I, I might interrupt you in the middle, verses 22 through 25 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. 
and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Okay, let, let's pause there for a second, because the apostle is saying it's much truer. Now, he, he, this is the apostle Paul. He's inspired of God here. It is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And then he says those members which we deem little toe-like are much more abundant in honor, and we need to bestow great honor upon them. And you think, well, why would you waste your time doing that? It's just a little toe. And the answer is because that little toe is part of the body of Christ. And that little toe is as important as any other part. And the apostle is drilling this thing home to us again and again and again. It doesn't matter if you are the least talented individual amongst all of those whom you, 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 you are, are associated with. What matters is that you're there. Let's continue with these verses. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that they may, there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Okay, so why does he go to such great lengths to describe the incredible value of those that seem most lowly? It's to say that we do it this way so that humility reigns over everyone, okay? And so that we can understand that we all have an equal standing before Christ because none of us is worthy, period. I don't care how talented you might think you are. You're still not worthy without Jesus, period, end of statement. So our fellowship should thrive on this diversity and mutual care for this brings the energy of life. And again, it's the mutual care that brings the energy of life. Verses 26 and 27 to finish up uh, 1 Corinthians 12. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. So again, there should be what makes a good church, what makes a good congregation, that attitude. If one member suffers, we suffer with them. If they're honored, we are honored with them. In other words, how you go, I go. Because we are so connected, you can't pull us apart. And Jonathan, I, we, we do have just maybe a couple minutes. I want to squeeze in a little story here. And I've told this story before, uh, but it's about those who may not have the same opportunities as others. Okay, and you recall years and years ago when we were doing Christian questions on the radio, we were on from six to eight on Sunday mornings. Right. And my house is over an hour, about an hour away from the studio. So I would have to leave my house at 20 after four on Sunday mornings. <clears throat> Information note, I'm not a morning person, <laughs> but to get to the studio on time. Now, my house is set up where we have a long driveway and next door to us is my, my, my parents' house, my mom and dad's house. And in behind their house was my grandmother's in-law apartment there. So um, this is several years ago. This is maybe 15 years ago. My grandma, you know, passed away maybe eight or, eight or nine years ago. But um, there was one particular Sunday where I left. I usually left at 20 after four. I'm very particular. You know me. I'm very particular about always being <laughs> on time, <laughs> exactly on time, whatever possible. And this one Sunday morning, I left 10 minutes late. And so I go and I drive to the studio and, you know, I was just late. That's all. I don't know. And, and, you know, we do we do the broadcast, come back to our Sunday meeting. And my grandmother, who is probably in her 80s at this point in time, comes over to me and says, hey, is everything okay? 
And I said, well, yeah, sure, fine. Why? Why would you ask? She said, well, you left late this morning. And I look at her and I think, well, wait, how do you know I left late? It's 20 after 4, for goodness sakes, in the morning. And, and I said, yeah, how did you know? She said, well, because I wake up to watch you drive out of the driveway. And I'm looking at her and I just like, I'm, I'm in awe. And then she says, because I want to pray for you while you're driving at that hour. So, Jonathan, don't ever tell me that those who don't have an opportunity can't contribute to the opportunity. There was a classic example of someone who didn't have the ability to get out, but got out of her own way and contributed to another individual's life. That, to me, is the beauty of the fellowship of the body of Christ. Right there. I'll never forget that as long as I live. Awesome. Awesome. And and, and you knew my grandmother. Oh, she was a gem. Yeah, absolutely, positively. So what's our foundational church building block here at our final one as we begin to wrap up? The church is strong, healthy, and vibrant when its members wholly accept their diversity and humbly realize that each one is but a small yet important part of the whole which compromises... Comprises, right. Comprises, thank you, the body of Christ. (laughs) Okay, so if we can understand that we are just small pieces, it goes a long, long way in us being part of a truly wonderful church congregation. One last early church meeting example, Jonathan, Acts chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people who were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. So there you have the them working together, being together in a prayer meeting for the Apostle Peter. Folks, the whole point of this podcast was to talk about what makes a good church. And the church is the people. And the people, each of them, have an intrinsic responsibility to bring spirituality with them, to bring their contribution with them, to bring their, 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 their desire for growth, their desire to learn, their desire to be like Christ, their desire to find truth, bring it together, and work together as a unit. That's what makes a truly good church. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week with another subject. But till then, what makes a good church is inside your own heart and mind. Think about it. And folks, remember, we love hearing from our listeners. Let us know what you thought about today's topic. Suggest future topics. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. Download our app. Search Christian Questions in your app store. Back again next week.